Well, hello and uh, welcome to another exciting edition of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that aims to plug the gaps between the culture and the church and theology and all that kind of stuff. I am uh, Andy Bannister and I'm joined as ever by my fellow intrepid podcastee, Aaron Edwards. How are you doing, Aaron? All right. Uh, all the more all right for sitting in the lovely Bannister Mobile, which we, we did last summer, didn't we? Uh, this... on, on the road, but we're actually not driving right now. So no, no, no. This is quite fun, actually, because my family were up visiting uh, your family and uh, to go, you, so we've got a house for the children and family and stuff, and then trying to figure out where to record a podcast. We thought we'd try <laughs> a local pub where we did, in fact, record the Christmas episode, but that's full of people yes. having dinner. And uh, and stuff, so that didn't work. So finally, we've retreated to my Volvo right. estate well, in there, the dark. Yeah, I mean, there were people on. Thing is, that there was like a, a very busy part of the pub, but then there was also a bit where there were hardly anyone on tables. But then one per, one couple eating dinner. We were thinking we would just be destroying their nice moment. It'd be a shame, wouldn't it, if you went out for a romantic dinner and you got in, you got <laughs> interrupted by a podcast. I mean, it's <laughs> it's right. one thing having like a Spanish That's guitar right. player or a gypsy violinist, but actually. Uh, a podcast, yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite the same. Would you mind if we did a podcast? Our, vo- our voices, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Don't can quite inter- have the same yes. effect as Can I interest you in the well. wine list, sir? Uh, can I interest you in a topical uh, conversation <laughs> of the day? That's right. Um, part of the gaps. Part of the gaps. On but the um, obviously, this is an exciting place to be uh, to be doing a podcast. Um, mm. But it's also been an. Uh, uh, I'm not sure exciting is the right adjective. But it's been an interesting uh, wee yeah. while for you, has it not, since the last episode of Pod of the Gaps it has. went out. Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell people who, who don't follow uh, these things on social media what, what has been going on? What's been going on for me? Well, yeah, so as I said, <coughs> I, I, I've been um, a bit in trouble with um, with the authorities. The the, uh, do you mean the police? The, <laughs> sadly not. <laughs> I think they'd probably be, uh, yeah, work slightly different. No, not sadly, not really. But... Um, uh, no, but the uh, the ecclesiastical, the ecclesiastical authority, the ecclesiastical police, or the Methodist police, perhaps. Um, so I've, you know, I'm on suspension at the moment for a tweet, uh, which uh, caused a fair bit of controversy. So right. you can go and uh, look it up on Twitter if you wish. I'm happy to talk about it publicly because I've continued to tweet around that issue. So um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it's caused some uh, a few, a few interesting sort of rumblings. A few interesting there, kind which of we'll rumblings. Probably have implications and challenges going forward and um, uh, and as ever poor old wesley is spinning even harder i would say his, so in, yes. in his grave i suspect Sadly. yeah i think uh, yeah I, I, at the risk of yeah i won't say too much about it right now i think um what i've said is already very public on uh, on twitter so people can go read that or read my blog it's stuff i've already talked about and it's really just the kind of willingness um of or unwillingness of many to be able to uh, see other views expressed which don't go with the current narrative on sexuality so i think people are happy for you to have a a conservative view but if you express it with any kind of strength or direction um then or even with intention it feels as though mm. you can't do that without offending lots of people and then and then when the offended circus kind of jumps on you uh on on social media um, institutions find that very difficult to to not side with, so it's kind of you know inevitable um, that that would happen. So obviously, there's you know people wouldn't always phrase things the way I might phrase them, but I would stand by and have stood by all the, all the, the entirely the way I phrased my tweet that got me in trouble. And so I think that's the interesting mm. thing um, that it's it's even people who might say I agree with your technically with your stance, but I wouldn't put it like that. And I would want to say you need to start putting things like that because we're in a time for the church where we need to speak up and speak out and be as proud of our view 
um, and intentional about it um, as our opponents are mm. of theirs. And if we can't be as vocal about it as our opponents are, we are going to lose ground and we're going to step backwards. So it's like if you're in a in fact, a pastor in my our pastor in our church preached a great sermon on Jude recently on the phrase uh, "contending for the faith," and he got his son up and did a kind of one-on-one scrum, <coughs> which was a great analogy, um, and actually was quite a good scrum actually for for, <laughs> for a young boy to uh, to go against his dad in. And it was like when someone pushes against you, that's not the call. That's not the kind of signal to step back and retreat and be pushed. It's actually to contend and to fight back. So obviously people have different understandings of what fighting back means and looks like, but I think we need to be able to recover biblical language in how we talk about the severity of sin. So that's basically what I did. I recovered what I see as biblically appropriate language to speak about um, sin uh, invading the church, basically. Um, and you can't do that today, obviously, without... Uh, and of course, what strikes me is interesting listening so that would be the the pushback might be, you know, people say, but Jesus and the way he carried oh, yeah. on to go. Yeah, but interesting. Jesus reserved his strongest language for the religious authorities of the day who had become corrupted mm. by the world. Mm. So mm. with the approach you're suggesting here, absolutely. We want to be gentle and compassionate with those outside of the church, yeah, yeah. Uh, wherever, wherever, they, wherever they're coming from. Yeah. And we want to see them the, being able to understand the church as a place of welcome where you can come as you are. And when you encounter Jesus, he won't leave you as you are, but there's a welcome for all. When it t- comes to the church mm. being corrupted and the church giving way to the world, I think the Jesus mandate is, I mean, for goodness sake, he calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Absolutely. The language, Absolutely. you know, or I think of Paul and the Judaizers. I wish they'd go the whole yeah. way away and emasculate yeah. themselves yeah. Uh, to go. If Paul was to tweet that today, yeah. um, people would have a, have a shock. The other thing, by the way, I would say about your point and to go, you know, yes, it's very easy for people who, Perhaps, you know, look at what you tweeted and go, oh, I might have changed a word or two. And I would be in that camp to go, the challenge is, okay, well, are you guys out there tweeting Mm. about the truth Mm. with a word or two changed? Because it's very easy to sit on the sidelines. It's a bit like in a football match, right? It's very easy to sit on the sidelines and go, oh, well, they should have done that differently. And going, yeah, but you weren't on the pitch and you weren't the one trying to actually make a difference. And yes, there'll be mistakes made. Yeah. so this leads us, actually, by way of a long and rambling intro, doesn't it, to the topic we actually want to talk about for the next 40 minutes or so, which is the whole question of, you know, contending in the culture, and especially how that plays into the whole area of apologetics, mm. right? Which is, so apologetics is traditionally understood as that branch of Christian theology concerned with giving a reason for mm. the hope that we profess. Mm. And there has been a very strong move in apologetics, hasn't there, in the last... A uh, few years, particularly championed and associated with people like Tim Keller, very mm. well-known American pastor, mm. but he's not the only one, and who have taken <clears> the sort of line of saying, "Well, you must never rock the boat. You must never, mm. never challenge. You must never, uh, you know, sort of tackle some of the big issues in culture. So you stay away from abortion. You stay away from marriage and sexuality. All of those things, because if you press on those buttons, mm. you might, you might burn bridges, you might mm-hmm. put people off. And mm-hmm. so you want to be as winsome mm. as you possibly can. And I guess while there's a, while there's a lot to be said, uh, while there's a lot to be said for that, mm. isn't there also a huge question there of going, what happens when the culture hits a point where actually things need to be said? And, mm. you know, as I was reflecting on this, you know, knowing this was going to be the topic conversation for this episode it occurs to me the early church right that's those that first 300 year period where the church grew from what 120 frightened men and women hiding out in an upper room book of acts mm. to 53 percent of the roman empire by about 320 the church preached with a passion 
right? But they also tackled the social issues of the day. Mm. They tackled infanticide. Mm. They tackled uh, the abuse of, 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 of women. They tackled slavery. They tackled a whole range of things. And they grew exponentially. Mm. So is it a mistake, assuming that if we, if we press on buttons in the culture, we run the risk of not being winsome? Mm. Yeah, no, really good point. And, and I <clears> guess I would, even in, I wouldn't normally find myself today uh, defending Tim Keller's approach. You're, you're normally the, uh, the Tim Keller, Keller quoter amongst in, in our podcast. But I do think Tim Keller does quote, does speak about challenging issues. I think he would, I think I'm sure he's spoken about abortion and, and sexuality, but it's the winsome, it's the winsome approach in how he does that. So he's wanting to usually, and he's been the most influential apologist of our era. Um, and, he he wants to win people over with this almost making Christianity more attractive. So it's let me tell you a better story about why God's version of sexuality is better than yours. Now that's not a bad approach. Of course we would all do that and I think it's a biblical approach to some extent, but it's not the only biblical approach. And I think you do need to to be more um confrontational at times and Paul was in many and Jesus was in many many uh, examples where they have to actually confront something confronting an idol where you just have to go up to something and say this is wrong and directly speak it and call it out i don't think that's uh, what we're getting so much from the the winsome brigade and of course there's now a keller center for apologetics and uh, you know we know various people on that and it's it, there's lots of good stuff that that will be coming out of that but i don't think the winsome approach is um, going to be fit unless it has a significant uh, alteration um, in how they mm. kind of go about these kind of issues at, at, from what i've seen i don't think it's fit for purpose for the next challenges mm. we're facing we're in a severely anti-christian moment in the west like severely and and it's not it, it just it just isn't okay to kind of assume that things are are fine mm. and neutral right okay let's just let me sit, sit down with you and, and persuade you in a nice gentle way and let me try and win you over Actually, I think people, there's a lot of people out there who are not Christian who respect far more a more direct approach, conf confrontational approach, even. There's probably some examples we could speak about, mm. um, where that has been, that actually has been winsome. It's kind of more like, who, who do you want to be winsome to? Do you just want to be winsome to the left leaning intellectuals, um, who are kind of up with the cultural literati, who read the right books and read The Guardian, maybe? Is that who we want to be winsome to? Well, that's, that, al that alone is a great question and a great place to, to press into because I would say uh, yeah you're you, you know you joked about me being the the, the Keller quota on this show and he's been yeah been a huge influence on me and a lot of the work that we do at, at mm. Solas the places we go we would we would draw on that quite heavily mm. um, but there's another side to that you know so I, th I think the thing that's often missed in this discussion is that the winsome approach is phenomenal and it works really well in certain places but there are other certain groups where it doesn't now you've obviously mm. talked about you know the sort of the sort of left-leaning progressives, mm. which is, can be the danger of that's where you try and be winsome too, mm. and you ignore those perhaps on the on the right mm. of uh, of politics. I mean to go, you know, the winsome approach is not going to work with somebody who's alt-right. It's not going to mm. work with somebody who perhaps is ex-military. It's mm. not going to work with somebody yeah. who is just generally more robust in their approach yeah. to life. But the other group, it's not going to work with. That fascinates me, Aaron, because this is a group that I'm passionate about, yeah. and it's not going to work with Muslims. No. Um, and I remember the first time I went up to Speaker's Corner 
in London in the late 1990s and was persuaded to get on a ladder and start you know, preaching on the, on the, at the corner there and engaging the Muslim community. If I just tried the winsome approach, mm. you know, as they were heckling and throwing, you know, anti-Christian stuff at us, if I'd simply gone, do you know, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And I respect mm. what mm. you'll say there. That wouldn't have gone down. That would have gone like, like a cup of cold sick, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Um, to go, what worked in that setting was you had to lean in, and it took me time to learn the confidence yeah, yeah. to lean in and push back. Yeah, um, I remember that, you know. So and raise your voice, I presume. Well, I remember seeing this. I remember seeing one of my friends who'd, who'd been more experienced than me, and he was a uh, he was talking away to a group of Muslims, and another Muslim came in the side of the group and, yeah. and made some comment about all oh, the Bible's being corrupted. Yeah, yeah. And I was stunned to watch my friend not either ignore it, which I might have done. God, I'll just carry on talking to these guys. He stopped talking to these two or three Muslims, turned to the guy who just had interjected. So what did you say? And the guy repeated it. And then uh, Jay said, right, I demand of you now, and he raised his voice, either you back that up with evidence this moment, you give me names, yes. dates, places that the Bible was corrupted, or you apologise. You apologise to me, you yeah. apologise to my Christian yeah. colleague here, and you apologise to these three other Muslims who you have just lied to. Yeah. And you would demand of me no less mm. than if I had made that accusation about the Quran. So which is it? Put mm. up or shut up and apologise? Mm. Mm. And the Muslim said, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Struth, Yeah. Because in that more polemic yeah. setting, when you're dealing with, again, this was an Arab Muslim. And, and Arab, men. Often. An Arab man. And in Arab in Muslim culture as well, it mm. can be quite combative and yeah. quite confident and quite bold and quite yeah. outspoken. You know, Muslims love debates. Yeah. Um, and to go then, of course, I'm also reminded, you look in the New Testament, we have, we have the polemic, more front-facing model. Model, mm. don't, don't mm. we? We've mentioned Jesus and the Pharisees. Yeah. Also, Paul. You know, yeah. when Paul goes and rent, let, rents the lecture hall of Tyrannus there in Ephesus yeah. for two years, what's he doing? He's not running yeah. a coffee and cake stand, exactly. is he? Um, <laughs> he's not got a he's, fast expression. He, he's no. debating. He's contending. Um, yeah. And the result is that the church grew. Yeah. And so I think what I want to be saying to people is, look, it's not... I wouldn't want people to be hearing you and I talking and saying, it's we've got to pivot from one to the other. But one model has been desperately neglected. Absolutely. So I'm not, I'm not anti the winsome model but i think it needs to be questioned like Absolutely. any reigning paradigm does Absolutely. but my word do we need to reintroduce people mm. to the more polemic model if that's yeah. if that's the right word yeah. confrontational. Um, confront yeah confrontational i don't like aggressive that's the wrong word but i think confrontational not being afraid of confrontation <laughs> what, not being afraid of debate I think that's a really good point. so i would actually in, in my, some of my lectures when i was still allowed to give them um was um uh, aggressive evangelism used to be a phrase, um, and it's actually a phrase that uh, many evan many evangelists of the 20th century, early early to mid 20th century, would be happy to to use. And aggressive meant front footed, intentional, um, not being passive. Aggressive means kind of non passive. So in sport, an aggressive team is the one who takes the game to the opposition. It's not the ones who sit back and wait to see what might happen, and then the opponents have a game plan and they go for it. So so actually being aggressive can be positive. In sport, that's how we would understand it. So similarly, in mission, like in war, to be aggressive, if you were in a war, and it's, let's say it's a just war, etc., you're going to want to make an attack that's aggressive. You're not going to wait and see what happens. That's not usually a very good pl uh, plan. So evangelistically, we should think of that. But I, I understand people might not, like the connotation of aggressive, so that's fine. I think confrontational certainly needs to be a word that we have become more comfortable with. What I've been debating with uh, on Twitter over the last week, even over my language, um, for my tweet that kind of got me suspended, was 
there's often these, these evangelical platform speakers like yourself, Andy. You know, you win some crowd. Who it's a fairly small platform. You get, yes. you get to speak at the conferences, the big cheeses. <coughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> All these coughs, coughs coming out now. Oh, dear, dear. Um, so it's, it's like, it, it's um, kind of, I think people have been conditioned to think that when you speak more confrontationally, you, uh, you must, it must be unloving or unwise. A lot of people said, do you think it's an unwise way of speaking? I say, no, you don't understand. Wisdom does not always mean um, caution. We like to think that being wise is actually always the more cautious, the safer thing, the thing that sounds nicer, and it isn't. That isn't how biblical wisdom works. And there are certain situations where it's wiser to speak up and wiser to speak out in the long term. It doesn't mean it gets you in less trouble. So, so Paul puts himself in positions, as does Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. And he puts himself in positions and says things that he knows are going to get him in trouble. Now, he makes a judgment wisely that this is the kind of trouble that's worth getting in because it's it's for the sake of the truth or for, for the sake of the love of people um, by <clears> speaking <throat> the truth. So it's not you're choosing truth over love. You're always speaking the truth in love and, and you're always trying to do so um, with gentleness and respect, let's say, with the 1 Peter 3.15. At the same time, um, we're speaking boldly and wanting to speak uh, firmly. So the people I've been debating with recently um, don't seem to understand, I would argue, what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 9, when he says, I became a Jew to a Jew and a Greek to a Greek, uh, by, by, by any means, by all means, I may save some. So I think many evangelicals today, they say, isn't it more wise to, yeah, be, to tone down the language, to be nice and be more winsome? Like I think, well, yeah, you know how to do that thing. But as you say, Andy, there's a lot of other people out there. How is your evangelism to the alt-right men online going? How are you reaching them? Are you even trying? How are you reaching those Muslims in, in your city? Are you even trying to reach them? Or have you kind of thought, well, I better not cause any trouble because they seem to be combative types and, I, and, I, and it'd be better witness for me to, what, say nothing, never talk to them, never confront them, never oppose what they say. They believe in an mm. idolatry. They believe in something that's <coughs> completely uh, counteractive to the Christian faith and they're, mm. and they're going to hell. So is that okay? Or do you even object to the fact that we even talk about yeah. hell, which Jesus talks about more than and, anyone else in the And world. as you were talking there, by the way, I was just thinking, in the, uh, in the, uh, just to uh, do to be deliberately sort of... Uh, provocative. Cheek, provocative. Well, don't shout, going cheeky. Because those examples we've given, somebody might go, well, you know, obviously, you know, Muslims tend to be right politically and, and, and more mm. socially conservative, as to the alt-right guys very much so. Yeah. But, um, but actually, on the left, <clears throat> let's be honest, if you were, you know, wanting to reach out to some of those black balaclava donning yeah. folks from Antifa who are yeah, outside yeah, protesting yeah. some feminist meeting. Somebody yeah. wandering up to them and go, oh, I, I, I wonder if you would, do you mind if I might just have a moment of your time? <laughs> Probably isn't actually going to, to work. The other yeah. place is interesting. Yeah. I have I have quite a few friends involved in prison ministry. Mm. And in some of the prisons as well, if you're dealing with, again, particularly men, mm. where it's quite rougher from those kind of rougher backgrounds, actually that bit, being that bit more outspoken, you have mm. to be. It's mm. the only way. Absolutely. It's the only way to get yeah. to get through. Get I think respect. the and I think the key, I think the key. There was something you said that was quite important. The love piece. That's where we get where we get confused. I think we tend to think of love as just being soft and cuddly yeah. And, yeah. and not willing to to, to 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 challenge. But for goodness' sake, we see in parenting. Mm. You know, right? If your if your kids are going astray in a major way, mm. or mm. you know, my son is about to do, you know, sort of climb some tree in a major dangerous way and really risk as, himself. As he did today, as they all as did, they today. did today <laughs> down the local <laughs> park. 
I'm not going to simply go that. Well, this is an interesting idea. Let's just explore this. Yeah. I'm actually going to be quite firm yeah. in in challenging them. Not because I'm I'm a bully, because I, because I love them. Um, <laughs> you're, and I, you're, you're not going to say to them, "There's a better story than this." There's a better tree. story than this tree. <laughs> yeah, um, right. I'm actually going to say, "No, get off the darn fence before yeah. you land on the railing." Absolutely. Um, so I think the question we need to be assessing, and I think there are dangers for every mm. position. I think the danger for the more winsome approach is that you never confront mm. and you actually you actually collapse into cowardice, if I'm mm. honest. I think the danger for the more confrontational approach is it can become about winning arguments. You sure. can just want to score a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the key, I think, is to ensure that love underpins it. Mm. And there's a friend of mine who's a, a former Anglican vicar, now retired down in Australia, re- one of the uh, leading evangelical experts on Islam, Mark Dury. And Mark's got a lovely quote in one of his books about truth and love, about holding the two together. Because if you don't, truth without love can become can become quite brutal. But love without truth, he has this line where he says, it, it just leads the soul into error after error after mm. error, because you're never willing to confront. You mm. have to hold the two together mm. and um, you could presumably say love without truth isn't love truth without love isn't true no almost. and also and i know you you pressed into this in some of your uh your exciting social media activity in the last few weeks is also i think the other question for us is how much do we really believe the gospel if we believe that if we truly believe that sin is sin yeah and it has a devastating effect mm. not just on a person's relationship with god but also Absolutely. societally yeah that it has you know, huge implications. Mm. Um, I mean, and to go, I mean, the biblical warnings about dabbling with this stuff are just mm. are, are just everywhere, right? Absolutely. If we truly believe that, then you're going to want to warn yeah. people and call people back. On the other hand, if you sort of are sliding slowly into that, well, is sin really sin? Did did God really say mm. it? Really, things so bad? Mm. And look, I'll be very careful here because obviously we, we mentioned Keller, and I don't think Keller is has made that slide. I genuinely don't think he has. But I do think, um, in recent years, I think what has happened is that desire to be winsome, that desire not to get shot at, um, you know, from the likes of the New York Times or the masses on Twitter, has perhaps, if I'm honest, led Tim at times not to say things that Absolutely. perhaps need yeah. to be said. Yeah. Um, I mean, a good example that I, I know he's been picked up on, take the abortion piece. Mm. Okay, you know, I think it's great that he stayed focused on what he needs to stay focused on. He's not called to be, you know, a, a, a main leader in the pro-life movement. But when you look at the damage that the abortion industry has mm. done, mm. Um, I think not being willing just to mm. say, yes, this is an, an massively important issue and it's a gospel mm. issue. And I hugely commend organization yeah. X, Y, or Z who are doing great yeah. work there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think at times he's lent a little bit, well, I better not say anything mm. because mm. I would hate somebody to, the first thing they hear me say mm. is uh, is on that issue. Mm. But where do you then mm. draw mm. a line? I mean, would one have been winsome during the early years of the, you know, I'm thinking the 1930s in Germany as Hitler's coming to yeah, power. <coughs> With, but, <coughs> well, actually, you are into that, aren't you? I'm just thinking Bonhoeffer at that exactly. point. You've got all the German yeah. church are just charging yeah. headlong after, well, we, we want to be winsome. Now, in that case, to be exactly. fair, that was personal fear. That was, yeah. if we stand up for the gospel, we're going to mm. get shot down, although there is mm. some of that going on on social media today. Mm. Christians not wanting mm. to stand up. Uh, and it took mm. the likes of Bonhoeffer and others in the confessing church to go, you know what? Some things just damn well need yeah, to be said. Absolutely, and there's a consequence. There's, for a, that. there's a great irony <coughs> with, um, with Bonhoeffer as well, because Bonhoeffer is beloved by conservatives and liberals in different ways. Because Bonhoeffer went against the stream, he challenged lots of people on the right and the left in mm. his in his time, 
in different ways, especially in America. So he wasn't like happy with conservative Christianity in, in the US when he stayed there, for example. That's true. Um, but he was obviously not, and, and not certainly not happy with conservative Christianity as as was in uh, Germany. But he would still be absolutely very conservative by uh, any standard today, in doc- doctrinally, and especially on things like gender, for example, which now is kind of embarrassing. I can remember a, a moment where you could hear a pin drop when I was doing my PhD. On a weekend away, we had all of the PhD students and the, and the faculty lecturers from the uh, university staying all together and having and everyone sharing uh, theological papers and then discussing. I was just in a discussion with one of the lecturers, which everyone kind of you know, when people you're in a room, a room where people are doing all sorts of different things, reading books in that corner, playing a game of cards, or whatever. It was like one of those saloon moments in a western or something where, <laughs> where everyone else's conversation just, everyone, drops yeah, it all drops and it goes and, <clears> and I'm just there speaking and I was speaking about uh, the issue of so Bonhoeffer wrote when he was in prison where he said most of his most edgy things that the liberals like um, where he's kind of questioning a few things he also wrote a sermon that was like embarrassingly complementarian by standards today well just it is just that he believed the bible um, on gender and male female female, female difference etc Um and I think it's really ironic that people like to say about Bonhoeffer, well, the only reason Bonhoeffer believed that is because he was a man of his time. That's what people say. They say the same about Karl Barth, another mm. theologian who had very strong views on gender, but um, they say he's just a man of his time. Interesting, because Bonhoeffer is literally known for not being a man of his time. So what you're saying is, on these things, he just had this total blind spot and he couldn't possibly see outside of his own lens. And he did nothing to do with his view of scripture at all. Uh, it was just because he was just swept up in this conservative culture of gender of the time. Um, but on these other things, he was willing to sort of stand on the word and, and confront Nazism and uh, as well as the kind of racism in the US, etc. But, you know, nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. I just, I just find that incredibly disingenuous. And, and so there's all these people who are kind of working on Bonhoeffer or thinking about Bonhoeffer who wouldn't be pro-complementarian. I just think it's we need to be consistent and honest when we're looking at some of these things, when we're looking at uh, why people are making certain cultural decisions, which is why for me it's so obvious. The reason I'm so... I was happy, not happy, you know, it's difficult to, to tweet the things I, I've been tweeting about the same-sex marriage stuff in Anglicanism, but I felt so strongly about it because it is it is severe. It's a severe situation. It's, it's not the kind of thing I would have been animated by when when same-sex marriage came in in the culture. It's a different thing when it comes into the church and we're being told you need to bless this and say this is good because someone who believes it's sinful can't say it's good. And it's a kind of a really particularly difficult thing to have to say this is good and you must celebrate it, you must affirm it. Or um, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not happy to affirm it, you just can't speak about it or you can't express it with, with the full conviction that you really have about what's going on. Yeah. And I do think the likes of Bonhoeffer would have um, absolutely spoken out about this issue as much as many people would lo- love, love it if he didn't. Actually, he would do because this is the kind of issue he would have said. And so just one more thing on it was yes, because you mentioned Keller. Um, he, his approach is interesting because he... Um, he got cancelled anyway. From I remember he was going to do some, uh, maybe some lectures at Princeton Theological Seminary, which is a sort of uh, Bartian bastion. Um, uh, one time, and uh, it clearly has moved left and lefter and lefter and lefter. So Tim Keller, even with all of his winsomeness, and and he wasn't able to kind of hold up there because he's technically a complementarian. He doesn't kind of go to town on it all that much, but people he's well known that he's a complementarian. But um, yeah, the winsome approach will not keep you from the wolves. You can't appease them and. Um, no amount of meat that you throw them or bones you throw them will actually, you know, win you their favour in the end if they're really out to kind of get you. Well, I think that's, um, I think two observations there. I think just to, to finish on the Bonhoeffer piece, I sure. think the, the, to me, the other clue that I think Bonhoeffer would have taken a stand on the 
on the gender and sexuality stuff today was in a sense what's going on in culture today is not dissimilar mm. to the way that the, the, the church was being you know forced yeah. to sign up to particular ideologies yeah. in, Germ- in, in yeah. Germany at the yeah. time yeah. and I think Bonhoeffer very much sort of believed in the, in the freedom of the church to follow the yeah, law, yeah. Of, law of Christ not the law of culture and the way mm. that's now happening in the culture here you look at the way that you know government ministers put pressure on the Archbishop of Canterbury mm. uh, when oh, there was yeah. the General Synod mm-hmm. uh, the other week but then the other thing I think that's going on the the wolf analogy there is, I think, a, a helpful one because, of course, yes, if you just throw red meat to the wolves, uh, eventually you will end up di- you being dinner mm. Mm. Uh, your, you are the your, yourself. And I think the thing that was interesting about your the tweet that, that got you in trouble was you when you talked about uh, homosexuality invading the church, mm. and you know some people got a bit disturbed by 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 particular I think the word in, invading caused a few people mm. issues. But the thing I found interesting is that's I think you were right. Um, and we were chatting early this evening, weren't we? Just before we mm. sat down to record this, I was, you know, just came across. I, I, I mean, literally, when you describe this, I can hear, I can think of, imagine the listeners going, no, no, this is a conspiracy theory. I'm making this <laughs> up because it is so surreal. But there is a very liberal Anglican church in London called St. James Piccadilly. Oh, yeah. And they are literally hosting a drag show, yeah. drag evening in the church. So we go to the, the website, we may even take a screenshot and stick it into the <laughs> show notes or something to prove I'm not making this up. Mm. Okay. Yeah, this big thing, and they actually talk about it on the church website, don't they? For the first time in three hundred and forty-seven years, three hundred forty-seven years, <laughs> we're having a drag event with some of the best drag performers. So, so really, did they not think of that two hundred years ago? It staggers me that actually. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I, 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 well, I, wasn't it going to be? I, I'm sure that Luther and Calvin yeah. would have talked about the possibility of it, but they, they just decided things. it wasn't winsome. At it time. wasn't winsome. They just thought we'd love to. Um, but, you know. And my point being is, I think. It's very, it's very easy to look at that and just get very, very angry. Mm. I, 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 my first thought was actually, gosh, they're literally trolling conservatives. Mm. Um, but then my other issue was, you know, it's very easy to pick on the Church of England, and we've been picked up by evangelicals in the Church of England for tr- making not make, being strong enough in emphasising it's only some of the Church of England. There are lots of very faithful leaders and parishes and Christians in there, but for now, yeah. for now, well, no, I, well, yeah, but Welby, the Archbishop, to go where. Where on earth is he? Uh, you know, quite frankly, the leadership mm. of St. James should be dragged in and told, you cancel that now, or you will be out of this nomination so fast, your backside will not hit the ground. Mm. And then you can do what you done well like. But you are no part of this nomination. Yeah. And, and this put is, on sex shows in the church. This is, again, I mean, the, you know, well be already, I think I said earlier, he... Uh, several years ago on the radio show obviously was yeah. asked the question about whether children can whether boys can cross dress etc and oh there's no problem at all with that so clearly he's already opened the door to that and that's partly his his well, it's the winsomeness approach. isn't it's it winsome, not, yeah. not having the courage yeah, yeah. to go it's not a gospel issue I don't have to you know it's it, it, people can still be saved it doesn't matter really what clothes you wear that's just a cultural thing it doesn't really make a difference and you can sort of understand how the logic works why would you waste your time on those die, don't die on those hills just wait until someone comes and attacks Christology it's like, oh, really? How many non-Christians come up to you and actually say, hmm, I'm not sure Jesus is fully uh, divine and fully human. Um, I've got this, I've got a Trinitarian issue. Can I ask you? I oh, will certainly go to war when the Trinitarian guns come out. We're going to really, we've got the right waiting, we've got the artillery waiting. <coughs> We're going to do it. But no one asks those <laughs> theological questions, do that's they? It. Maybe they that's are, it. Maybe we'll be sitting there thinking, I, I'm waiting for someone to tweet about the hypostatic union. Exactly. And then, I'm, only. Then, I'm, then I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm, ready to, I'm, I'm totally ready to not be winsome anymore. If only the right battle came along. They don't realise 
that the sexual ethic battles are where the battle is. And yes. Luther famously said, or he's quoted as saying, you know, if you're not, if you're defending the gospel in, at every point, except the one point is actually being attacked in your generation, you are not defending the gospel, you are denying the gospel. And that's something that's really, really important. That's what's really animated my approach over the last few years to say we need to speak more strongly. And actually, funnily enough, we talked about earlier at Speaker's Corner. I just, I must mention, Bob the Builder, who I only discovered about a week ago. Bob the Builder. I, I mean, he's, 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 <laughs> it's a winsome cartoon, you know. It's a I very, was about to say, can, subtle allegory. can we fix it? Yes, it's we can. A, a subtle allegory for the gospel. You've got to look well, I think really. the Church of England, can we fix yeah. it? Yes, we can. Cliff College, can we fix it? <laughs> Possibly not. Um, no comment yet. No comment. Um, <laughs> until after the discipline. I can say um, what I like. But, yeah. um, so, um, but, so, it's, uh, so Bob the Builder, Kevin, he kind of came to defend me on Twitter and uh, got in touch. I was just so delighted. So many people. So sorry, who is Bob the Builder then? So he is. Yeah, so not Bob the Builder the cartoon, Bob the Builder the evangelist, who does stuff at Speaker's Corner quite regularly, often uh, debating with Muslims. And it was amazing. When I found, when I just, just because he got in touch, I'm going to look up who is this guy. I looked him up on YouTube and a video just dropped, I think, that day of him arguing with Muslims at Speaker's Corner, similar to how you said your friend Jay Smith and uh, and yourself when you've had to kind of cut your teeth there. And you just see a completely different approach. I mean, the, the winsomeness completely goes out the window, but you know he's got nuance and cares about it and does have love, but he he, he knows to be bold and, and confront. And we ha- he had a guy coming in trying to interrupt the debate. I've uh, the, my One or two times I've done street evangelism with Muslim evangelists, or two Muslim evangelists, as it were, of going to one of their tables where they're giving out, you know, their kind of literature. I get into debates with someone, and then some, you write, you know, the kind of expert comes along from the mosque who's kind of trying to almost troll the conversations to make sure these guys are, are kind of answering properly. It's almost like they're told how to answer. This is how you're supposed to answer. And you want to get them individually to answer. You're kind of getting somewhere on a human level. You're getting some empathy when you're trying to share your testimony. You might, I might be sharing stuff about the Holy Spirit, how it isn't just a case of me trying to rationally persuade you. Um, but at the same time, yeah, this guy's trying to interrupt with the, those kind of questions. And so the similar dynamic I saw in this video with Bob, and he's... He literally whipped up the crowd to say, like, go away. He, this guy was called Siraj in this video. Go away, Siraj. Go away, Siraj. He does about 20 times in a row. 20 times in a row. Go away. Imagine an evangelist, a winsome evangelist saying, go away to a non-Christian 20 times. How would that even be possible? But within the context of a speaker's corner, it kind of works because you know that he's been dealing with this kind of guy who's interrupting and deliberately trying to get in the way. And I thought of language in that Paul uses, like Alexander the coppersmith has his you know done me great harm i've handed him over to satan that he may be he may you know learn not to blaspheme maybe taught not to blaspheme or mentioned many times before many of the false teachers who are spoken of in quite aggressive terms and because they just realize look this is the, this is just a problem or, or when paul turns to that guy in acts greatly annoyed um he, 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 you know, he, he speaks with conviction and, and boldness mm. when he needs to because there's someone who's who's opposing him so this guy bobby is he's, he's, he's really happy to be bold and even says to the guy go back to your mother and learn some manners <laughs> and i was like again who says that who speaks like that and um, but it, it actually didn't turn these guys off they were actually wanting it was actually winsome in a weird <clears throat> well, way well i was going to say this is the thing and i think this is the thing where we go wrong with the winsome language of going for that community we're back to where we started yeah that's that's winsome and you know the example i i can think of i mean I several people in the context of speaker's corner i know but then i also think of you know, a dear friend of, of mine for some years until he died a few years ago, far too young of cancer. And that was a guy called Nabil Qureshi. Oh, yeah. And Nabil was a former Muslim, very passionate mm. Pakistani Muslim. Mm. Um, you know, loved, saw his job as going around, you know, converting Christians to Islam and being very mm. aggressive. 
uh, and was pretty much unstoppable. Or the opposite, and, I presume, converting Muslims. Sorry, to Muslims, uh, no, no, Christians. To, he was Christians, unstoppable. Right, no, yeah. he was converting Christians to, to, to Islam, sorry, yes, um, when he was a Muslim. Oh, sorry, right. Yeah, right. yeah, no, no, you, right. you interrupted my story. Sorry, so he, sorry, was, no, he was a Muslim evangelist. Then what happened is he ended up with a roommate at college called David Wood. Hmm. And David is fierce. I mean, David's like Bob the Builder. He watched David's videos on YouTube. Right. And he holds nothing back. And so Nabil tried his, oh, I've got a roommate who's a Christian. I can deconvert him, uh, shtick. And mm. David just turned around and let rip with both barrels. Mm. Mm. And for seven years, that argument went to and fro and to and fro. And in fact, David said he had, you know, fellow Christians telling him, give up on the bill. He's never going to become a Christian. Mm. And David's response was always, well, I, I love him. He's my, he's my friend. Mm. And, uh, and mm. I'm going to keep arguing. Mm. And lo and behold, in the end, um, through a combination of David's ministry and right. then also some supernatural stuff with a couple yeah. of quite powerful dreams in which Jesus appeared yeah. to the bill, he became a Christian and then became a very powerful evangelist wow. in those years before wow. he died. But I think, yeah, David, one of the most mm. polemic people I I know. Mm. Uh, but David would say he feels God has called him to reach those kind of unreachable mm. ones like the mm. bill, and he goes after now radical Muslims mm. and people who are so extreme yeah. and yeah. sees fruit. There yeah. are hundreds of people yeah. who've come to faith, yeah. I think, through David's ministry but i also know people who hate david like mm. how can you say that how can you how can you be that direct and is it christians who he gets to hate so he gets, he, get, he, get, he, gets, he gets more it's non it's christians he yeah. gets a lot of yeah. christians going yes. for him and go oh you shouldn't speak this way yeah. and you should and he's not i look at him he goes he's not rude yeah uh but he's very direct he'll tell you exactly what he thinks about yeah. muhammad it's amazing how much christians who don't evangelize very much know about people they're supposed to evangelize to you know who aren't actually doing much evangelism <coughs> themselves they seem to know a lot about how one shouldn't evangelize well i remember back in my speaker's corner days there was a bit of a debate going on going on a missiological circles between between jay smith who was the mm. uh my kind of mentor into evangelism down at speaker's corner quite polemic in his approach mm. to muslims and um on the other side of the missiological debate there was a guy called colin chapman right and i forget where colin which college colin was based at but colin's very softly softly gentle gentle winsome winsome approach to mm. islam and uh, colin <laughs> hated jay's approach so they yeah, had some yeah. they had some clashes and some yeah. uh, dialogues in public but on one occasion i remember jay a bit naughtily sort of saying to colin okay colin well tell me about the effectiveness of your method how many muslims you know have come to christ through through what you and those that you've taught have done and mm. colin I'm the nerd and basically want to answer the question. Yeah. And Jay said, well, you know, I'm, it's not numbers isn't how you solve a debate like this, but I, you need to know that through Speaker's Corner, through the work I've done and, and the team that we have at All Souls, we know of, of dozens mm. of Muslims who've come to faith in Christ over the years. Mm. Um, so there is an extent of sort of by their fruit, mm. you will know them. And again, I want listeners hearing this. I'm not saying that you therefore take the speaker's corner model and again apply everywhere. It yeah. clearly isn't going to work in the workplace. You're not mm -hmm. going to put a, you know, in your if you work in an open plan office or a school or whatever, going in and sticking yeah. up a, a stepladder in the corner of the staff room mm -hmm. and, you know, raising your voice and yeah. doing street preaching probably is not going to end well. Mm -hmm. And you would be a fool if you then said I was persecuted because you got fired because of it. Mm -hmm. Um but there are lots of settings where we need more of that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I think you can do um Aaron that I've learned over the years. I mean I don't do Speaker's Corner anymore. It wasn't quite didn't quite fit my style. But what I learned from Speaker's Corner is what one of my friends described the iron fist and the velvet glove yeah. approach. So you can be firm. Yeah. You can be rigorous. You can mm. challenge. Uh you know, I'm doing an evangelism event in Norway the week after recording this and they've asked me to speak to a mixed group of students on the topic of why I'm not a Muslim. Mm. And I will be direct. I will criticize the Quran. I will criticize Muhammad. Yeah. I'll do those things. Yeah. I just I won't, I won't do it in a shouty top of a ladder style. I will do it in a slightly more ironic style. Mm. But boy, 
underneath a velvet glove that's going to be iron. Yeah. And I will say things that if there are Muslims in the audience, they will get upset at me. Absolutely. Um, set your face like flint, Isaiah. I think you say set your face on fire. <laughs> I mean, that, would, that would certainly draw a crowd. It'd be that winsome. Would... I think many, many, many of your detractors, that's a very winsome approach. It wins me yeah, over. Yeah, come and see. Oh, um, the, yeah, yeah. But, but I think, yeah, no, I think that's, that's really, you know, really helpful. I think um, w- one thing that's uh, intriguing is that we, uh, yeah, we, we, we think we can talk about this in an anonymous way. So funny enough, we, I, I just finished today writing a review on a, oh, yes. a new book that a very famous apologist is, has written. Um, and I, 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 the publisher asked me, you know, asked me to do, well, you, you, they asked you actually. Actually you asked me to, to me. write the review yeah, and I was yeah. rather busy, so I passed yeah. it to your Passed it to me. To and and I, I found myself a lot of time recently, um, strangely enough. And um, so it was, in, I was quite animated to do it because actually reading through this book uh, at, at this time of life where there's lots of people critiquing myself, um, I found it interesting looking at this approach to apologetics, which is kind of giving a kind of overview of apologetics. And I found that it was interesting how the the apologists who often are very well fated in the Western world, they don't seem to have a, a very clear grasp of, of the confrontational method at all. Like it's as though it doesn't at all feature. And there's a sort of move towards this imaginative approach. Now, I, I remember writing a book review for a book called Imaginative Apologetics. Uh, uh, Davison uh, edited many, many years ago. Andrew Davidson, I think it was. Uh, Davison. Um, and it's all, it's a good thing. It's kind of like the Inklings kind of approach. Like you're trying to win people. Like Narnia is a kind of example, or maybe Lord of the Rings might even be seen as an example of a, a kind of apologetic, if you could call it that, um, to sort of win people over through story and kind of imaginatively. Yeah, you're trying to engage with the imagination, not just with reason, not just with propositional arguments. Absolutely all about that. You know, my undergraduate was in English literature. I love stories, love literature. But I did find it a bit kind of convenient that in a postmodern world where everybody is, um, relativism is still rife. Um, and the, the, the issues of people kind of being able to change their gender at will, all this kind of, these kind of massive attacks upon basic truths, which, you know, Western civilization, mm. um, because of Christianity has actually held <coughs> on to. At this time, we're sort of going down the winsome, imaginative, story-based approach, which of course that's helpful and useful and biblical in moments. But at this moment, it feels like it's particularly unhelpful because it could be distractive actually from the, the real issues, from the people that we're not uh, reaching a need to reach. So I kind of wondered, you know, if, one of the amusing things was, you know, you tell me, tell me your story about this. I, I remember noticing, is this person being quoted really an apologist it does it seems like a novelist this you know marilyn robinson or something whatever. And, so and, and then but i think it was because you uh, had uh, made comments on the proposal well, I don't, that, yes that's the funny <laughs> thing there is a story here isn't there we might be careful not too much to give away what author we are we are talking about but yes i had i had reviewed the original book proposal and flagged up some some very obvious gaps and in, in particular i suggested that maybe there might be a few more female voices um, that might be involved, and so I think Marilyn Robinson and uh, Dorothy Olsayers got sort of thrown into the to the mix to try and, and try and justify that. Yeah, the, you know, the imaginative approach is interesting, isn't it? And, so and they I, got the, by the way, they've got the tag team part of the gaps either, either end. So I'm, I'm <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> they they don't, listen they, to your advice, they and then they got my advice from the other side. They so is this they, an apologist? They don't know this or? exactly, but I think um, the other thing I found interesting about the imaginative approach, you know, it's sometimes you know you sometimes hear people suggesting that it's this wonderful sort of modern thing mm. that we've recently discovered. For goodness sake, Christians have known about it for ages. I mean, you look mm. about, you know, I mean, art and music and yeah. all these kind of things. You know, one of my great, you know, spiritual heroes was, uh, you know, John John Newton. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was Newton when he was, uh, you know, and, and um, 
an Anglican vicar in, in Olney realized that, you know, the people he was dealing with, ordinary people, the kind of, you know, if you tried to put too much theology into a sermon, it went over people's heads. But he figured out, well, music, people can reach, uh, mm. reaches people. And particularly the songs of the pop- mm. popular culture that people are using. So Newton, you know, really was one of the ones who was responsible for getting him singing into the Church of England. It was kind mm. of a pushback at the time from people who yeah. thought that shouldn't be done. Mm. And he went and did it anyway because he thought, well, that's the way to engage people. So that's using the imagination. Mm. Um, and then, of course, more recently, C.S. Lewis in the 19 kind of 40s and, and so on. And I think what's interesting about Lewis, you know, is that I, I'm not suggesting the book that you and I are referring to necessarily goes entirely down this route. But if you're not careful, you come across some folks who sort of seem to suggest that we need to we need to let the more combative, you know, rational based mm. approach go and replace it mm. with imagination. But I think one of the reasons why Lewis has such longevity is he got the two things Absolutely. together. Yeah. Um and to go, I agree. Just dry heart, dry cold reason can be a bit boring. There are yeah. a lot. There are apologists yeah. like that, and I yeah, sometimes yeah. find them a little bit dry. Yeah. But if you just go, well, touchy feely, imaginative, with not a lot behind there, you're going. What are you winning people to? Mm. But I think Lewis was rare, mm. and the reason we can learn from him is he was, yeah, he was somebody who could deploy incredibly dense philosophical mm. arguments. There are paragraphs mm. of Lewis that I still today I have read and have to read a second time. Yeah, yeah. Because to go, that's quite an intricate argument. But then here's somebody who can also and by the way, not just in Narnia, mm. um that's often the one that people throw out. The cosmic trilogy. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of his his uh, trilogy of books for for adults. Mm. And then you read his apologetics, he actually is very, very sophisticated at using imagination and mm. metaphor and images mm. um mm. in there. And of course mm. that was instrumental in his own conversion yeah uh, as well if you read surprised mm. by joy mm. um so i think yeah again i think there can be a temptation to run away from the culture and run away from some of the battles and people mm. do that in a number of ways mm. one is the winsome approach the yeah. other is go, we just need imagination and we just need art that's all we need mm. rather than going no there are some things we need to mm. we need to push back on and you threw that quote in from um was it was it was it was it Calvin or Luther that one about you know if we defend every point yeah, yeah, apart from yeah. uh, and that's attributed to several but I think there's a there's a whoever said it there's a key is a key idea definitely sounds say, like the kind of thing Luther would say it would have been and you know and again we touched on this right at the start in the first century the church looked at those places where where what was being done in the culture was so toxic to the gospel and toxic to humanity mm. as well actually the damage mm. that was being done to lives mm. and it took a stand yeah and today. I think we need to man up, mm-hmm. uh, all women up, but um, and be willing to take to take a stand because mm. if we don't, who will? And besides, the other thing as well, actually, mm. uh, makes me sort of realise there's an issue here. If we're not careful, what will happen is others will come into the breach mm. and so take the yeah. take the sexuality and particularly the trans and the gender stuff. That battle is being fought well, mm. actually. Um, and but the, the challenge is not Christians who do most of the fighting. It's secular yeah. feminists, yeah. and I think that's very very sad that actually we've left that battle to to others. And that's yeah. another group, by the way, we're not being winsome to. Yeah. So if you, you know, I remember sort of people like sort of like Douglas Murray, who we've quoted before on the mm. show, who's not a secular feminist, obviously, talking about the fact that you know as an atheist, he's been put up quite been put off by the church because where he'd expect the church to take a stand, yeah. it's uh, it's run away. And one last thought, by the mm. by the way, just on this uh, this little sort of epic uh, sermon. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that I think also the danger is, and we've seen this in what's happened with you in Cliff College, is that if not careful, people think that Twitter is a place. Mm. And I think I forget the stat on how many people in the UK are on 
Twitter, is I've it? I heard one in fifty, or something. That would sound about right. Yeah. Um, if you, I think, it, I think it's a two or three million, something like that. So something like that. So, but you know, Twitter is full of people shouting at each other. So you tweeted what you tweeted. Half, and it, if you, I think you said the stats weren't even half. You know, because if you look at the comments on the thread. Mm-hmm over half the people actually agree with you but you know a small minority get very angry and jump up and down and make a fuss and along comes cliff college and goes oh my word the people on twitter are very angry we must do something failing to understand that a vast number of other people would entirely agree with you and where we saw this played out in culture recently of course is this may uh, not be news for those uh, of our american and australian and elsewhere in the world listeners one of the big stories in the news here in the uk in the last couple of weeks has been there is a there is a contest going on right now uh, to be the new leader of the uh, the Scottish mm-hmm. uh, the first minister of Scotland. So yeah, Scotland, Americans like the Scots. Yeah, they like the Scots. Far, so Scotland is a is a is a devolved region of the UK. It has its own parliament, and uh, the first minister Nicola Sturgeon actually was forced to resign over stupid mm-hmm. stuff she'd over said the around the, over the trans issue. Well, one of the people standing to replace her is Kate Forbes. Kate is a very committed Christian. She's a member of the Free Church of Scotland, one of those conservative churches in Scotland. We were part of that church for mm. for six years, and I have been hugely impressed that actually, rather than run away, she has been willing to say what she thinks on marriage. That yeah. she thinks that that she doesn't believe in in, in same sex marriage. That she thinks that her marriage is for life, and you know that divorce mm. is inappropriate. She thinks that sex outside marriage is wrong. And to go to watch, and what was interesting was she was advised by a, you know her people in her own party, her, her own campaign team. Oh well, if these issues come up, just I think she was actually told to lie, hmm. just 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 you know discombobulate yeah, in, yeah. in front of journalists, or divert or something, divert yeah. or something. And Kate was like, well, actually, I think the best thing is now. What's happened is interesting. The media class have all gone for her, hmm. so the woke guys have all jumped over her. If you look at the polling in Scotland, she is neck and neck with the mm. other main candidate. Mm. And in fact, actually. There's been other polling done suggesting that she's going to she's going to win wow. because actually a lot of ordinary people in Scotland look at her and go, either we agree with you, or here's a politician who's actually not afraid to say what they think. At the least, you can trust them. You can trust them mm. rather than, than than lie. And mm. this is, I think, the problem when churches and denominations go go woke mm. is you know you look at how Cliff have behaved. You look at how the Archbishop of Canterbury and Anglican mm. leadership have behaved. I think if I was outside the church, I'd conclude one of two things. Either you don't really believe what you say you believe, in which case, why the hell should I listen to you? Or worse, or, or second, you're actually a liar. Or thirdly, you're a coward. And I don't know which is worse, hypocrite, liar, or mm. coward, would it seem to be the only three options. I couldn't possibly comment. I know you couldn't possibly <laughs> comment on your particular issue, but my point being is... I don't see another option yeah. uh, out there. Absolutely. And if I was a non-Christian, I think I would therefore walk away. Mm. I would say, well, why should mm. I? Yeah. Why should I listen to you? And particularly, as I say, the Muslim community, for whom yeah. I have a, yeah. a huge soft spot and, yeah. and, and love engaging with Muslims yeah. over the years. No wonder Muslims look at the church and go, "Why would we listen to you guys?" Yeah, and you know. exactly. And, and we, we've talked about, you know, you say that let's say the imaginative Winston approach is hardly like new. It's not like it was invented in the 20th century to deal with. Um, a kind of different kind of situation. You even see in the Old Testament prophets um, a mixture of both. You see, kind of, why does Jeremiah go to the to go to the kind of trouble of of uh, of using words in the way he does to communicate something very very powerful, very incisive? Uh, well, why does Ezekiel build a model? 
<laughs> why does Jeremiah do these physical de demonstrations of things? Why is there so much incredible vivid imagery in the Old Testament prophets and yet also a willingness to speak so directly, so confrontationally in ways that they know are going to get them, I don't know, chucked down a well uh, in Jeremiah's case or in Elijah's case, threatened, threatened uh, with death numerous times um, and having to kind of be speaking against the wind, as it were, of, of the Baal prophets who are kind of completely out in force against him at Jezebel's behest. Um, and I, th I think you know, it's that kind of willingness to kind of, yeah, to, to be very, very out there and say, look, this is, we're not throwing one thing away in order just to take 100% up, take, take another thing up, another approach up. But we are saying we need to know what the time is. We need to be people, Christians who know what the time is, who know what, what what's going on in the world around us in the battle. And somewhat, sometimes the voices, even if they're good ones from previous generations or current generations even, um, we've almost learned a style or learned a code of conduct which isn't necessarily biblical. It's, it might be a-biblical. It might be half-biblical. It might have been, yes, biblical, but only applied in one generation. <coughs> and we need to, to ensure that we're actually biblical in the right ways for every challenge that we're facing and not kind of just airbrushing out massive parts of Scripture, massive swathes of the New Testament in terms of the rhetoric, the way that they speak, the way the, the, the New Testament authors speak just isn't how we speak. So we've invented a way of speaking which is, not in the but not not particularly biblical in loads of ways, and we kind of end up convincing ourselves that this is the Christian way to speak. So I just think we really do need to recover that if we want to be fruitful in defending the faith, which is kind of what apologetics is. So absolutely, we want the imaginative, we want to be like the inklings in both ways, as you say. We want to be uh, creative, we want to be telling people that, that Christianity is a better story for sure. But we need to be. I don't. I just believe people less when they're not willing to say the things the prophets mm. and the apostles are willing to say. Um, at the same time, otherwise you are. It is just the danger that you. Who's going to have a go at you for telling a nice story? Honestly. Like if you go and do a lovely story or an indirect kind of questions, which is kind of just a lovely conversation, a lovely podcast or something, who's really going to have a go at you for that? Um, actually, you could arguably our podcast might. We, we might. This is very <laughs> but, yeah, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, we, we need to be willing to do both. If you, if you can't, you know, choose not to do that, if you need to choose to, to not do something rather than just say, oh, I, I couldn't possibly do it because I'm too scared to do it. You need to be willing to do both. Then you can make a choice. I'm choosing to put the winsome down. Or I'm choosing to put the confrontational down out of love or out of the context for the situation. And I think there is not necessarily a bad point to end, actually. A so winsome point on which to end. Winsome point on which to end. So, yes, the takeaway from this is uh, go and be, <laughs> become, no, not be more aggressive, but go, yeah, I think go and be be willing to be that little bit more confrontational. Bold. And I think yeah. And I think I think reflects on what you've said there. I think the other the other challenge and I shameless plug, I, I talk about this in my new book coming out in the in the summer, that I think there is an issue that we don't put our finger on enough in the church. I was realizing I'm opening up another topic having just said so that's a good place in which to end, <laughs> but you just add your final reflection, this might be mine. Is that I think we kid ourselves if we don't appreciate that one of the things that holds many of us back from evangelism is that we want to be liked. Mm. The human desire to be liked yep. is very, very, very big. It's yep. a massive psychological driver. Mm. And so, yeah, we invent all kinds mm. of justifications for it, but mm. actually it's we want to be we want to be liked. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not that. I'm actually very generous here. I don't think, you know, I think there are probably some you know, Christians who might outwardly sort of, you know, sort of identify as being at the more progressive end. They're not. They haven't theologized there. They've just got there because it's comfortable. Yeah. It's easier. We want to be liked. The society's gone this way. And so, therefore, I'll, I'll tag along. 
And um, and I think there is an interesting question to ask oneself: is that if, if you if you haven't received pushback at some mm. point for what you believe, mm. is it because you is it because again you're you're operating in in hypocrite, coward, or um, I forget the third category I came up with liar? Or, yes, that that kind of mode. Um, and it's interesting. And I think, um, you know, I think a book that's a helpful read on this is actually, we did a whole podcast on this way back at the beginning of Paul of the Gaps. We looked at Rod the Dre- of time. Yeah, the of time. We looked at Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies. Mm. And that's a really interesting study. If, yeah. if people haven't read that, I really commend that to you. That book looks at the experience of Christians under communism. Yeah. Um, when there was that whole pressure to just mm. conform, there mm. was the pressure to to cave in, the pressure to yeah. compromise, the pressure just to go along with the state. Um, mm. And actually, you can understand why, because there were huge com- consequences if you don't. Yeah. And Rod's book is quite helpful because it, it's a really interesting study of that period. It's quite inspiring. Mm. But also, he's drawing lessons from that and going, we live in a similar time today where yeah. we can be tempted to, to go along with a whole raft of things mm. in culture and actually one of my challenges to the likes of the archbishop and cliff and all these other uh, folks that we've talked to it's what i mentioned on the show you know steve chalk we haven't mentioned steve this episode hello steve and um <laughs> he loves the would, pod would be if if this is not the place that you draw the line if it's not here i stand i can do no other where do you Mm. Where do you stand? What will be the thing mm. that you draw this? Will it be drag shows in churches? Mm. Will it be? I don't know. What will it? What will it be? Mm. Um, because there's going to come a point at some point where you're going to have to take mm. a stand. And if you are naively hoping that culture will just continue this slide and then stop at some point, I think you are on hiding to nothing. I think mm. the, the, cult, the culture is on a sort of greased slope yeah. that's going to continue down for some considerable time and of course rod's other uh book rod Dreyer was the benedict option you know but predicated on the thesis that we are actually entering effectively a new dark age yeah and one of the jobs of the church is to figure out how do we carry how do we protect the light and some of the good things in culture for the generation or two to come and we've gone through this period of madness but again it's going to take courage yeah isn't it? It's take, going to take courage Absolutely. um in all this and that, and that means you know in terms of mentioned going into a dark age it's uh, yeah, I'm preaching a sermon this Sunday, um, which will be on Ephesians 5, um, which is all about walking in the light and not in the darkness and take no part in, in the kind of works of darkness around you, but instead expose them. And I just think, wow, how many Christians really think that it's their part of their discipleship is to flee from darkness and to expose darkness with the light? And obviously there have been lots of Christians who've taken that in a really bad direction maybe and gone into the street and just try to call out everyone's sin uh, left right and center regardless in a very confrontational way and that isn't always going to be the best <clears throat> approach or the most helpful approach but at the same time i think hey, do we really think are we almost so embarrassed to be associated with that kind of approach that we don't ever think about exposing darkness with light and even thinking of light and dark as categories in which we're supposed to think, because it sounds very binary, sounds very self-righteous. If you're in the light and everyone else is in the dark, well, yeah, that's how the Bible speaks of it. Like you are the light of Jesus is the light of the world. And we have become as his body here. We are the light uh, in this world. We are the city on a hill. We're here as his kind of ambassadors to bring his light. And so I just think we need to think of bringing the gospel as bringing light into darkness, but we just 
as you say, that willingness that, or that fear of not being liked, the, the need to be winsome and to please people, it just makes us put our light under a bushel, which is again what Jesus says, don't do. Don't, don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose your mm. light. Otherwise, you're not going to be any good to the world. So if you actually really care about the world, those of you who actually, I might say, are worldly, progressive Christians, you don't even, you don't even really love the world. You think you even love the world, you don't. If you really wanted to love the people in the world, you would actually be thinking about how can I bring light here into darkness? So it's really, really important to kind of recover those mm. things and for, just generally to recover, just spend more time in the New Testament reading what the actual apostles are actually saying. What does Jesus actually say? How does he talk? And let's get hold of that again so that we can actually be good news in all the ways that we need to be good mm. news to this world. So don't put your light under a bushel and don't put your podcast in a drawer. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Metaphor, perhaps. Absolutely. And, and on that bombshell. On that drawer. On that drawer. This has been Pot of the Gaps. I've been Andy Bannister. I've been Aaron Edwards for now. <laughs> for now. Well, hopefully you still will be. If my head is still. <laughs> your head is still attached to your shoulders. And uh, we will uh, see you again in a couple of weeks uh, for another show with another topic we hope you found this helpful and I hope it encouraged hope you found it winsome winsome and I uh, hope you get it not too confrontational but get out there and, uh, and be bold amen goodbye for now Fair.